Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, this week on the Righteous Remnant Podcast, I have with me Ashley Park. She is a Bible teacher at the Christian Academy of Guatemala, and she's teaching high school and middle middle school students the Bible. And from what I understand, you also lead chapel there in Guatemala. Is that correct? Yes, I lead it with like other teachers, but mostly, yes. <laughs> awesome. And Ashley is a former student of mine. She was a leader um, at our church for many years, and she has had you know some pastoral experience, some teaching experience. So she's been all in this Christian leadership, and you've been working with um, you know students and educating them about the Lord for quite a long time. So our focus today is going to be on Christian education. Um, now, before we jump in um, into the Mila's topic, I did want you to tell our audience a little bit about yourself because um, you know you're not just the average run-of-the-mill American or Korean mm-hmm. or Guatemalan. You have all three of these cultures kind of put into one amazing package here. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about your history um, with all of those um, nations and just your experience? Sure. Um, so, I yes, I'm born in Guatemala, but I am Korean. Um, yeah, I was born in Guatemala, and then I studied and was raised there. But then I moved to the States for the first time in eighth grade. And um, and then I came back. I moved, I moved around a lot, but I mostly studied in college in the States, and I graduated there. And once I graduated, then I came back to Guatemala, and that's where I am now. And so now I'm teaching. <laughs> um, but yeah, so all three cultures are basically in me. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's really cool because I think you know, for most people, for most people, they're they're really only familiar with one culture. You've seen a, a good amount of cultures, right? You've seen a lot of American culture. You've seen a lot. Of Korean culture, you've seen a lot of Guatemalan culture, and these are all pretty um, different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's a, a, a really interesting dynamic for you, especially being involved in educating in all three of these types of cultures. So, you know, one thing we're seeing here in America, but I think it's happening in a lot of parts of the developed world right now, is that a lot of young people are leaving Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, with... I've heard the stat. I don't know for sure if it's true, but it sounds about right to me. I've heard that about, you know, of all of those Christian youth that, you know, grow up in church, their parents bring them to church when they're young. So they grow up as Christians, but only about half of them make it through high school with their faith intact these days. And then I've heard that another half basically lose their faith in college. So if you take the average junior high believer in Jesus, you know, because their parents raised them in that, um, for them to graduate from college with their faith intact, it's only about a quarter or something like that, mm-hmm. right? And that seems about right in my experience. Um, there's lots of people that, you know, are either leave the faith or are very nominal in their faith, mm-hmm. right? And... um and a lot of that, I think, is because of all of the cultural pressure that's going on here in America, because all the pressure is the opposite. Now, I should be clear, because I don't like it the other way, meaning if there was a lot of cultural pressure to be Christian, then I think what you get is you get a lot of fake Christians. Yeah. 
right? And I'm mm-hmm. not saying that that is the best thing in the world either. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I am saying is that there does seem to be such incredible pressure and influence on young people these days to abandon Christianity. And I think that that is affecting a lot of believers. I don't know. What do you think from your perspective? Is that true from what you've seen here in America, in Korean culture, in Guatemala? Yeah, well, at least in Guatemala, because I like mostly studied here and now I'm teaching here too. And it's a Christian school. It's not like, you know, and so a lot of the students are either missionary kids or grew up in Christian homes. Um, But I would say that that statistic is kind of true. Like after graduation, a lot of our students do kind of walk away from God. Um, And so I feel like in my own experience, I've seen that like even with my classmates, uh, I still do have like a handful of like classmates that I walk with um, in like relationship with God with in communion. And so like um, I have friends in Guatemala too that still are holding strong to their faith, but I also see the other side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ashley, in your estimation, what would you say are like, maybe two of the biggest things that are pulling people away, young people specifically, away from the faith right now? Mm, okay, I have to think about this. Yeah. Um, two of the most like big things you feel, mm-hmm. okay. Like of those that leave the faith, what would you say are like two of the biggest reasons why? I feel like a big part of it is like entertainment influence Mm -hmm. i feel especially in guatemala because we're so it's a it's it's a bubble right like we always say here in california there's like a socal bubble or korean bubble but in guatemala it's so it's very small and the community is even smaller Mm -hmm. and so um because it's like also like just a christian school i feel like once because we can't really develop here in guatemala People, when they go to colleges in the United States and stuff like that, I feel like entertainment is a huge one. Like um, the things that like media shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, So I feel like that's like the number one thing that really makes students question their beliefs and all the things that they learned and held on to. Wow. So wait, wait, before you Mm -hmm. jump into your second one, let me let me explore that one with you a little bit Mm -hmm. like. So you're saying that what's happening is in these TV shows and things like that, they're being influenced with worldly value values through those things. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, so, I mean, what does that what does that look like? Walk walk us through that a little bit because I think I know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. but I've also heard like caricatures of that position. So, for example. You know, there are people, there are like um, people who say, oh, yeah, those religious people, they they think, you know, if you play too many video games, like you'll end up a mass murderer because you're shooting people virtually. And so you just want to shoot people and you become yeah, ultra violent. Yeah. And I've heard yeah. it caricatured like that. <laughs> but I don't think that's what you're talking about. exactly. No, no, yeah. no, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think, well, it's it's hard for me to like explain in a way where maybe you guys might like try to it'll be hard for you guys to understand just because I am speaking in the context of like a third world country community being exposed to like mainstream media. And so I would say like, at least in the context of the Christian school in Guatemala, 
Um, once, once our students do like leave and get and graduate and go to like colleges, I feel like actually a lot of colleges, because Guatemala is very conservative, we are naturally very conservative mm -hmm. and like we hold on to like the nuclear family um, and just like very traditional biblical values and principles. Mm -hmm. Once our students do go to college in the States, I feel like that that's where they do kind of like question a lot of their values and beliefs because mm -hmm. like mainstream media does not preach those things. And For sure. that's when students are kind of like, well, maybe, you know, and I feel like we can't force students to like walk with God, you know? And so if they're not strong Christians, they will fall into um, like believing those things. Right. And they're not constantly walking with God and reading their Bibles and being grounded in the word. I feel like that is a very tempting way to like For start sure. walking. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely seen both of those things, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen, the entertainment stuff. I think that the there's a couple things with entertainment. Number one is you're right that there is like this transference of worldly values, right? Mm -hmm. It's just you see people that are happy and successful in entertainment and that is appealing to you, something like that, right? So mm -hmm. you can see people who are successful in their careers, who are rich or something like that and mm -hmm. you're getting influenced to be like that. Like one thing that I think is kind of funny but kind of sad is that um you know k-pop has become so big it's huge it, it's no. so big all around the world now and <laughs> it's even in guatemala like guatemalans yeah. love koreans now yeah. because of k-pop yeah it's hilarious yeah. There, we just had this story about this british guy who yeah. identifies as korean right yeah, yeah yeah and that's because of the influence of k-pop i mean mm -hmm. i was telling i was telling some people i watched a disney Christmas special with my kids and um, one of the segments on this Disney Christmas special was with BTS who is like this famous K-pop band yeah I had heard of them I had never seen them before and when I saw them I was like OMG I, I was like wow they um, like one of my kids is like are, are they boys like she wasn't sure what gender they were mm -hmm. and not only that i was shocked they it didn't seem like they were great singers to me you know like I, this is one of the most popular bands on the planet i don't mean this to be like a k-pop bashing session yeah, yeah. but um i i was just shocked like this is very popular right now it's very mm -hmm. popular a lot of people look up to these k-pop stars want to be k-pop stars i and i've seen that with a lot of christians you know i've mm -hmm. been in the you know the korean christian world in socal for you know a little while now and um it's very influential yeah and that's definitely. all part of you know this kind of worldly you know influence that we're speaking of mm -hmm. and um you know i i think this just really speaks to how we as christian leaders number one we're doing a poor job of giving our students a a biblical worldview and um you know my heart here is not to bash any of the leaders on the head because we're all in this together right we're mm -hmm. all trying to get better at this but you know the scriptures are full of talk about how these types of treasures right these types of world this type of worldly fame 
of you know riches and popularity that these things are not valuable from a biblical perspective but to the degree that we don't really give our students a strong biblical worldview yeah um they're going to be influenced by this stuff. yeah and i mm-hmm. think that that's like pretty obvious that they are being strongly influenced by this yes. stuff and you know you know i, I struggle with this actually because we're talking about like being christian educators mm-hmm. um you know, there's a way that we can go become very legalistic in this. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what I mean by that is, you know, I know that, for example, in Christian music, they started, you know, back in the day, it was just the had choirs and these types of things. And what they did is they started bringing in like rock bands, you know, and they had drums. And then you had like, you know, old people saying like drums is the devil's music. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and I'm sure you heard some of that sentiment, um, you know, that was a big debate in the mm-hmm. in the church in probably like the 80s 90s you know in that era and you know we look back on it now it's kind of funny right it's like well clearly drums is not the devil's music like you can make yeah. great music to the lord with the drums and electric guitars and all the rest um but what i'm getting at is a lot of these older people what they had is that desire they had a real desire for holiness Right, they didn't want to be influenced by the world. They didn't mm-hmm. want to be corrupted by the world, and so there was a lot of. I remember when I was growing up in the church, there was a lot of don't read Harry Potter, yeah, you know? yeah. like don't play Dungeons and Dragons, don't like you know any of these like worldly influences. You know, it's like oh, that's that's evil and that's and that's wrong. And to be honest, I because I grew up like I loved like video games when I was a kid, and I loved like I read fantasy novels and stuff like that. And so people would say like Dungeons and Dragons is demonic, and I'm like what part about it and they're like the magic you know the magic they're doing like wizards and and i'm like like it it just seemed somewhat preposterous to me yeah yeah, yeah. um the thing is you know and and there was a lot of you know oh yeah and then kids they'll want to do magic themselves right and they'll Mm -hmm. cast spells and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and the thing is like there is some truth in that right there are people who do that and Mm -hmm. you know actually you know, becoming a witch and stuff like that is actually becoming a little bit more popular amongst it young is. people today, right? And that's actually part of entertainment too. Yeah, yeah. right. So yeah. what they're saying is not wholly inaccurate or wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but my point here is I think a lot of young people, when they hear old people saying, don't be influenced by the world, don't do this, don't do that, they're naturally thinking like, okay, but what's the problem with it? What's so bad about it? What's like, what's wrong with it? You have to explain to me why because it's very entertaining it's very fun Mm -hmm. it's very compelling and all uh, i think in in a lot of churches who are trying for holiness in a lot of christian cultures we don't do a good job of conveying the why right why and what's the alternative right because for a lot of young people you know they hear the alternative as being you know read your bible more pray more you know be at church more Mm -hmm. and like I'm sorry, those are not compelling. That's not a compelling vision for your life, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, young people who struggle to pray, who struggle mm-hmm. to read the scriptures and understand the scriptures, you know, that's it's not compelling. And yeah. and I understand, I get that, you know, and, and I'm one of the big cheerleaders. I'm like, yes, read your Bible and pray more. I'm like, that's one of my main messages as a Christian leader. Yeah. But at the same time, I understand that for somebody who doesn't know how to hear the voice of God, right? Somebody who doesn't fun- flow in the gifts, doesn't know how to prophesy, right? Doesn't know how to feel the presence of the Lord, doesn't know how to do these things, doesn't understand scriptures. Like, the Bible's really hard. Yeah. 
Like it's hard, and it's it's that is compacted by the fact that you ask a hundred Bible teachers what this passage means, and you get like fifty different answers a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? So you're the average young person. This is not easy, right? Mm-hmm. It's not easy, and um, and I struggle with it actually because on one hand, I'm you know I, I with my kids, right? They love their iPads. They love their iPads. Yeah. Right. And they love video games, and I understand because man. I kind of love that. I love some of that yeah. stuff too. And especially when I was a kid, I'd be like, yes, this is so cool. Yeah. And for me, I've, I've had the benefit. I've seen so many amazing things. I've seen miracles. I've seen, um, you know, I've seen God move in amazing ways. And I, I know how to hear his voice in a way that I know my kids don't. Yeah. Right. So I struggle with this as a parent and as an educator to what degree how how do we train and push these kids, right? Like, you know, I hear about like some missions trips where they make kids sit through like four hour sermons, like multiple times a day. You know, it's just like you know you're you're just and, and it's like yeah you you just you just shove it down their throats. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And to some degree, we all have to admit that works to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. It's just the more opportunity you give God to move, and. God will move sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Now, the problem is there's also some degree where some kids are sitting through these four-hour sermons and they're like, I hate this. What am I doing here? Why yeah. did I agree to come to this, you know? And there's some percentage of those kids that don't have encounters with God that that go away like this is a waste of time and effort mm-hmm. and money and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, and I, I get that. This is hard. How do we... What do you think? How how do we take our young people and give them a strong biblical worldview and help them encounter God in a real way? Yeah, I that's actually something that I constantly ask myself because I am a Bible teacher. Yeah. And like and I did grow up in this Christian school that I'm teaching at, you know. And I didn't get to know God actually through school. It was just like through a missionary that came and he preached and he was like sharing his testimony. Yeah. And that really changed my life. And so just when I look back at my own teenage years and like my childhood, I want to be able to like, like ask myself, like, how can I change it for these students? Right. And so I think that's something that I constantly try with at least my students Mm -hmm. is like, obviously I am teaching. I'm T I don't think that, going the opposite of extreme of like not teaching any biblical principles is is right right i don't think that either mm-hmm. i i lay the foundation of like reading your bible is important right and like praying is important spending time is important but i think something that you said is like teaching the kids the why behind that mm-hmm. and so um as a christian like educator i i try to because what changed my life was like testimony, you know, and you were saying that yeah. like you hear God's voice in a way that, you know, your, your kids don't, you know? And so um, in ways sharing that to my students, you know, like sharing yeah. my own personal walk yeah. um, with the students and like, not just like shoving down, like read your Bible and like yeah. believe in God, but really I think showing the kids that there is huge purpose behind like walking with God and like finding true identity behind like walking with God really gives students like this 
like interest and even curiosity to see that like hey like Christian life is not boring you know and Christian life is exciting you know and God is real I think that's something that kids need to like understand and something that churches even um, kind of have a hard time with you know like really allowing students to see how real God is and that he is a real person and we're not just like worshiping this dead God and so that's I feel like really allowing the students to see that the Bible is real um, and God is real really helps the students. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, When I, you know, when I hear you speak, I just feel like there have to be miracles. Mm -hmm. There have to be miracles. I, I honestly don't know how you raise a young person in the Lord with a vibrant faith Mm -hmm. If they have number one, no testimonies of miracles mm-hmm. um, that they've heard, and they don't experience any miracles themselves, yeah, and and this is hard because as Christian, you know, we understand like in the West, it can be hard to have miracles happening, mm-hmm. you know, and this is probably a whole nother issue. Um, there are a lot of ministries that I love that really push hard for miracles, and I think one of the dangers of that is there is this temptation to call everything a miracle. Oh my gosh, you know, like God healed my headache. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I got to tell yeah. everybody and and it's and it, and then it's kind of back an hour later but you don't say anything or something like that, you know, like you know, yeah. or we exaggerate or you know, mm-hmm. these are things that I don't think are 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 good and healthy, okay? Mm-hmm. So, to be clear, I'm I'm not saying we should make anything up. Yes. But I will say this, when I talk with my kids, I can tell you the things that are compelling to them are when I tell them of the of the things that God has done in my life. Yes. Right? Like the mm-hmm. encounters I've had with them, the miraculous encounters, especially when they're part of that story, right? Amen. So mm-hmm. like, you know, recently we're about to move um, to Colorado and we were praying, you know, God, um, should we move? Is this something that you want? You know, and we invited our kids into that process where we all prayed for it. And um, we got a number of prophetic confirmations. Mm-hmm. And the the amazing thing was that my kids got to be part of it. My daughter had a dream, right? And in the dream, um, we had to leave California in her dream. And when she told us that dream, we're like, you know, you know, we think that that is a confirmation, one of the confirmations, right? And, you know, and I, and I try to walk them through that. You know, one dream by itself, especially one that's, you know, a little bit vague, right? That one is just, we had to leave California, but we felt like um, that was one confirmation yeah. to us. And and so they become part of that story, yeah. right? And um, and that's compelling, you know, for my kids. You know, I remember one time Judah had a dream. My eldest son had a dream um, and he felt like the Lord spoke to him in that, in that dream. And when he told me, you know, I said, you know, buddy, I think God really did speak to you in that dream, you know? Mm-hmm. And to help pastor them through some of these experiences, you know, yeah. that they have. But um, I know that when I when I tell them some of the stories that I've had in my walk with God that were amazing to me at the time, mm-hmm. right? They're amazing to them, right? Because it's not just theology. We do a lot of theology too, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you know, it's it's the stories that are really compelling to them. Yes. I know, right? And um. And because I have real encounters with God. And I just feel like, even when we look at it biblically, right? Um, Abraham, he must have told Isaac his stories, mm-hmm. right? He must have told the stories of how God 
met with him and spoke with him and these types of things. This is like, this is part of like, a, meaning this, you can't be a great educator without a history with God. Yes. You have to have your own history with God. And because mm-hmm. a lot of people, they just want to say, you know, if you're a great teacher, you know, if you, if you're just great at speaking. Yeah. But I'll, I'll just say this. Those things are not enough. Yeah. Like you have to have experiences, real experiences with God, because those experiences with God are, it's your faith journey. Yeah. Right? It's about what God really did, mm-hmm. you know? And um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I think for a lot of people, they don't have, a lot of educators don't have a lot of those stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, to be clear, I'm not trying to bash them over the head, but I'm just saying, I just feel like we need those stories. Yes. Like those are essential. And, mm-hmm. and the second aspect of this is we need to function in the miraculous ourselves and in our in our churches in our ministries in our in our christian schools like mm-hmm. again i'm not saying that we have to you know go overboard or pretend that the miraculous is happening when it's not yeah. okay because look we we are functioning in a culture of small faith that's the way i always tend to see it like in the west you know in our 21st century western cultures we're very you know we don't believe in supernatural things you know mm-hmm. and so it's hard to it's hard to have a lot of miracles happening in in these cultures so mm-hmm. i you know i i want to say that because you know there are pastors that probably feel bad that they don't have more miracles happening and so mm-hmm. i want to say look it's hard it's hard yeah. for lots of people um but that being said this is why i think it's it's essential that we push for that mm-hmm. right um and especially in this context where you know i think you know with everything that happened with trump which i think we'll we'll talk about a little bit there's so many more people that are like despising the prophetic and they don't want anything to do with the prophetic i remember yeah. i've been told in a number of churches you know um no prophecy you know um and like that that is that is that by the way is strictly forbidden by the lord right meaning it's the lord who says do not forbid prophecy yeah okay the bible wouldn't say that unless there would be a temptation to yeah. do that Right. And that's because I think all of us who have had any experience in the prophetic have seen it abused. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. We've all seen abusive prophetic words, you know, things that were claimed to be prophetic, but were very damaging to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have a lot of compassion for leaders who have experienced some of that stuff. And they're just like, you know what? I'd rather have no prophecy than some of this damaging prophecy. And I just want to say lovingly, like, that will mess you up. It will mm-hmm. mess you up. It will mess up your people because Scripture actually affirms prophecy as being the one gift that you should eagerly desire above others. Now, yeah. to, to be clear, it, it's giving it as an example of a greater gift, mm-hmm. but it is the specific gift that is highlighted and said, hey, eagerly desire your spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. And it says why? Because it edifies the body yeah and you know the implication from this is if you don't have prophecy you're missing out on a lot of important edification mm-hmm. right and so i i want to say this to a lot of christian leaders because um it i think it's tempting in our cultures to not eagerly desire prophecy, mm-hmm. right? And to despise it, right? To consider it as something that's of low value. And I always have a problem with this, actually, with like, you know, especially because in, in, even in charismatic circles, we run to a lot of people who are open but cautious. That's the terminology that you yeah. use, right? <laughs> like, I'm open to the spiritual gifts, but I'm very cautious about it. Mm-hmm. And usually what people mean when they say that 
is they're not eagerly desiring it. Yeah. And they yeah. don't actually want it very much. And they're more mm-hmm. suspicious of it than they are desiring it. And I, I just say that lovingly, that is not a biblical position. That is a sinful position to have, okay? Mm-hmm. And and again, I want to say that with compassion because I do understand that people have had traumatic experiences. They've seen it abu- They've seen gifts abused, and the and frankly, they just don't know how to manage the gifts. They don't know. They don't have the wisdom to be able to judge prophetic words and say, no, this is not how you should do it. You should do a little bit more like this and to correct this person. And I've dealt with very manipulative prophetic people. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've dealt with that. I've dealt with some manipulative prophetic people who are, they have a, they have a real gift. And, and in a lot of ways, these are the most dangerous people Yeah, because they have a real gift, but they have some unhealthiness. And so they use a real gift in a way that's actually very destructive. Mm-hmm. Right. I once knew somebody that was really prophetic um, when she would rebuke me, it would be so painful because she would be pointing out real flaws that I have, yeah, yeah. right? But in a way that like there's not grace and yeah. I just feel so condemned and yeah. like a failure. And you know? <laughs> So I, I understand. I mm-hmm. understand the temptation for leaders to jump to that extreme. But I just want to say I do think it's an extreme. And because mm-hmm. what it does is you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. And, um, and it, look, and, I, and I'll say this. In a lot of ministries where I see young people with vibrant faith, like really vibrant, healthy faith, is there's there's healthy prophecy happening yeah. in a lot of those ministries. I like I remember I saw a testimony on social media with Sean Foyt, and he was talking about how his daughter is like prophesying over people. And I was reading some of those testimonies, and I was like, "That's amazing! Like, I that's love that. so yeah. cool!" You know, and you know, I, I know some people will naturally be skeptical, like, "Oh, you're teaching them like you know." like just witchcraft or like they're spouting nonsense. But I'll just say, look, I I have seen a lot of very effective prophecy. I've seen, I've seen prophecy transform people's lives. It has been hugely instrumental and effective in my own life. And I just want to lovingly say to those who have been hurt or wounded or seen bad prophecy, don't throw the baby out with the Mm bathwater. It's so powerful. And there's a reason why the Bible is so big on it. It's very Mm -hmm. biblical. And, um, and I know this is kind of a, a long way of talking about this, but I say this when we're talking about our young people, I feel like they need to experience prophecy. Mm-hmm. They need to experience healings. They need to experience some of these things because, they, you know, if they if if a young person sees one credible miracle, okay, I'm not talking about being healed of a headache that no one can verify and no one can tell, you know, but I'm talking about like a legit miracle. Yeah. Right. When you experience, especially the reason why I love prophecy is because prophecy is not just miraculous. It's miraculous in a very personal, intimate way. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, oh, my gosh, God knows me. Yeah. He knows this about my life. He understands my deepest desires and my longings. And he's and he's telling me that he's affirming these things. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so it can be so powerful, right? And just like anything that's powerful, it can be very destructive too. Okay, so I'm not talking about you know unmediated or untested prophecies or mm-hmm. un, you know we, we need to train people rightly in these things. But I'm saying if if it's if it's flowing in a healthy way, if you have a healthy culture that produces healthy prophecy, it can be one of the most powerful yeah. tools um, in our arsenal to disciple young people in the faith. Mm-hmm. And I just have to say, I think that there's a certain amount of when young people have not seen legitimate miracles, 
They haven't had intimate encounters with God. I think it's only a matter of time until they walk away from the faith. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with that. I see it all the time in like a Christian setting, in school setting, right? And like I said, even me too, I, I accepted Christ and I started walking with God when someone shared their testimony, right? Which included miracles in their life, right? Of how God saved them and changed them. And so, and I was learning theology in school, but I think we need a healthy combination of both. Yes. Where we teach students like the biblical values and principles of life, yes. but also how God really does impact our our families and our friends, our community, our churches. And and like sh- not just teaching them, but showing them that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's like that's amazing. So like even with yeah. Bible classes, if there's like teachers, Bible study groups, right? Um, I think having a healthy integration of both of them is yeah. exactly what students need. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I'm so glad you brought that up because yeah. yeah, like I think there's a danger of like despising the miraculous and the prophetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is also a danger danger of um, you know, over emphasizing it to the exclusion of teaching sound doctrine and theology. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, just being honest, like you and I are both like charismatics. We both believe in the gifts. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, on the charismatic side of the spectrum, look, there's a lot of people that are wandering from the faith or just being totally frank are becoming heretical in their theology. Yeah. And um look, it's a it's a big thing. Like it, I'm I'm just gonna say a lot of um musicians I see a lot of famous worship leaders and musicians who have left the faith, very prominent ones. I was just listening to um, an interview with Audrey Assad. She is actually, she was a Catholic um, worship leader and musician. And I, I I listened to some of her early albums and I really liked some of her songs, you know, and um, to be clear, there wasn't a lot of theology, deep theology in those songs, which is why, you know, I'm not Catholic, but... Um, I do believe that there are a number of Catholics who know the Lord and are saved. and um, But th- therein lies the rub in the sense that a lot of Christian music is very weak theologically. Yeah. I mean, there's not much theology going mm-hmm. on in there. A lot of it is just the way God makes me feel. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I love that stuff, by the way. Okay? I love singing about how God loves <laughs> makes me feel. Okay? Like, I sing about that all the time. I think that that's really healthy and yeah. important in the relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think what I've seen is it just seems like all of the the shallow theology that people are raised with in in churches, it, it eventually comes back to bite you. Mm-hmm. Right? I remember I was really shocked by some of Marty Sampson's comments. And Marty Sampson um is he when I was you know in college probably high school college he was like one of the most famous worship leaders in the world right and so he was a Hillsong worship leader they used to call it United um, and he was really popular and he was yeah. great I, I loved a lot of his songs and you know yeah. but yeah I would always joke with my friends a lot of the lyrics were really shallow you know like you know he was young like he was probably like my age when I was in high school college right so he was super young and the lyrics were pretty shallow a lot of times. Um, but it was, you know, it was genuine, it was honest, and mm-hmm. it, it was fun, and, um, but I was shocked at some of his comments, you know, I don't know where he's at in his faith, to be honest right now, mm-hmm. but I know he went through a real soul searching where he was like, I'm not sure if I'm Christian, 
and and he started saying stuff like you know he said you know nobody talks about hell you know nobody talks about how science disproves religion nobody talks about you know a lot of these things and i remember hearing those comments and being shocked like nobody talks about that like, <laughs> i feel like i've heard i've heard so much talk about that in yeah, my life yeah um but I understand how you get into some of these very Christian cultures and sometimes, yeah, they don't talk about it mm -hmm. and they're not preaching sermons that are dealing with like actual sophisticated arguments and they're not doing serious apologetics and that's reflected in the music. The music is just like, God, you make me feel so good and you love me so much and I love you so much. And again, I think there's an important place for that, but there's a problem when we aren't training our people to, th to think deeply about mm -hmm. these things and to really wrestle with these questions of faith because, look, they're going to get challenged on this stuff. Yeah. They're going to get challenged on evolution and, you know, LGBT issues and abortion yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm, I've been really concerned at the growing trend in the church, which is like, yeah, we're not going to address any of these things from the pulpit. You know, like we're not going to talk about these things because they're controversial. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's hugely problematic because you have these young people and look, they're going to get challenged by their peers. They're going to get challenged on social media. They're going to get challenged online. They're going to hear the other side of the argument. Mm -hmm. And if they're not hearing the biblical side of exactly. this from Christian leaders, how are they going to retain their faith? Yeah. And it just seems to me that's exactly what is happening to mm -hmm. a lot of young people, just a lot of people in general right now, is they're not really being trained in these issues and they're and they're abandoning the faith. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Have you seen some of that stuff? No. Yeah, I definitely. I remember like when I was younger, too, it was becoming more of like a topic to talk about. And I wanted answers, you know, and so... I was asking my small group teachers and in good heart, they said, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they, they mostly say, I don't know, in which I totally understand um, that they're being honest, yeah. but I feel like we, we need to be teaching even our leaders, right? Yeah. Um, we need to be. Because, That's a problem when our leaders don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, because our students are curious, like children are curious and they're going to want to seek answers. And if they're not yeah. getting it, from the church even they're gonna be getting it from mainstream media they're gonna be getting it from shows that they watch celebrities that speak out yeah. in these issues right and so um i feel like any christian school and any church in the youth group should be outwardly speaking about these things because students whether they are vocalizing it or not they are asking these questions to their friends um, to maybe even their parents that don't want to talk about it, maybe, yeah. and like brush things under the rug, right? And so um, we need to be speaking about these things because yeah. the world is already being so loud about it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I'm really thankful for my school. Like our school board wants to be teaching these things as young as middle school because I feel like that's pretty... Yeah, good for them. Yeah. yeah, it should be like that, you know? And so, Yeah. There are a number of things that I see that, that take young people out, mm -hmm. right? Um, one is like the LGBT issue. It's a big yeah. one for a lot of young people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, let me do my best to try and steel man the argument here. 
right? Like if God is love and he's all about loving people, why would he, you know, hate people who feel same-sex attraction, right? That's yeah. not something that they can control. And again, I'm, I'm steel manning the argument. So yeah. this is not what I personally believe, mm-hmm. but you know, they can't control they're born this way. And why is it even wrong in the first place, right? This just seems like an ancient bigotry that was basically codified into religious dogma. And, um, you know, especially now we have, you know, some decades of experience with gay people and they're great. And shouldn't we love them? Shouldn't we love them and accept them fully as they are? And, um, And I think that that argument is very compelling it is for mm-hmm. most young people these days because yeah. that is the unquestioned dogma of our culture at this point mm-hmm. right so in my opinion if your church doesn't have a strong apologetic a strong counter argument to that particular mm-hmm. argument your young people are going to question god yeah uh, almost like for sure and a yeah. lot of people are going to leave the faith Definitely. over just this one issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, Ashley, I mean, how would you answer that argument? Yeah. Um, I've had to have, like, really hard conversations with people that I love, you know. And so... It definitely, this is even me sharing is definitely not like, oh, oh, it's so easy. Like Mm -hmm. just, you know, and I know that for a lot of like the Christian community, they're afraid of losing friends, of losing like even like family members, right? And being hated. There's a lot of fear of man in this area. Um, And also you do want to like win souls, right? And so sometimes you want to compromise certain things. And so there's just like Mm -hmm. a lot that goes into it. Yep. but I, I feel like from what I've experienced with my friends um, and really close people to me is that more, most likely, usually they, people who are, are like um, attracted to the same sex or identify themselves in the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. I've seen that when I do explain my stance and do respond to that certain they ask me like why can't god love me you know and like mm-hmm. why can't i get to heaven just the way like you would get to heaven for loving someone right um when i do explain and i do um talk to them with truth mm-hmm. and and telling them something they don't want to hear right mm-hmm. um they usually don't like storm off right and they're not mm-hmm. like oh my gosh you you know mm-hmm because there is this like friendship and relationship that's already built. And so I've seen that I just, I, you just have to say in the beginning, you know, and then you can have discussion and you can um, talk about things and answer questions. Right. And the temptation is to want to compromise certain issues. Right. But that's why we hold on to the word of God. And that's why we pray even, um, And like, we realize that it's not a lot of the times it's not just about like, Oh, loving this, but it's really a spiritual battle. Right. And when we see it in a spiritual battle, I feel that it's much, much more, it's easy. It's a little easier to be able to have these conversations for sure. Those certain people. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I I tend to respond with like three basic arguments, right? When we're talking about, you know, why doesn't God love LGBT people or something like that? Number one, the assumption that we go into that conversation that people are gay, right? This is not, number one, it's not a true assumption, okay? And it's not a biblical assumption. And this is really what the whole debate hinges on, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with abortion, yeah, right? If we assume that a fetus is not a person, right? It's not a person until it leaves, you know, until it's born. Mm-hmm. Well, then, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it, right? It's the assumptions that we carry into the question, yeah. right, that define mm-hmm. everything. So if you assume that you're a gay person and that God, you know, doesn't love gay people, well, already we have a problem there, right? Mm-hmm. No, God loves everybody and there mm-hmm. are no gay people, mm-hmm. Okay. And this is a big deal because this has been taken for gospel truth today, mm-hmm. right? You're either gay or you're not, but that's yeah. factually not true, okay? It's factually not true, meaning there are many people that change in their sexuality throughout the course of their lives, mm-hmm. okay? That happens all the time to people, and I, and I say this because I have a lot of experience with that, number, and number two, it's reflected in a lot of the scientific data, okay? Yeah. In particular, when we look at girls, girls tend to fluctuate much more in their sexuality, mm-hmm. okay? Meaning sexuality is not like race, okay? It's not like race. Your race cannot be changed. You cannot mm-hmm. change your race, all right? It's different with sexuality. You actually can. Your sexuality is fluid. It changes throughout the course of your life, right? And there are decisions that you can make to inflame your sexuality or, or to you know, to dampen your sexuality, those things happen throughout the course of your life. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, you know, you're born this way with no ability to influence or change it is simply not true. It's not scientifically true. It's not biblically true. Now, if we're talking about, do I have complete control over my sexuality? Of course not. None yeah. of us do, okay? Yeah. Every exactly. single person I talk to wants mm-hmm. to change aspects about their sexuality. Yeah. Okay, it's like nobody has the perfect sexuality, right? <laughs> okay, like I feel like eighty percent of the counseling that I do with young people, <laughs> right, is them dealing with aspects of their sexuality that they wish they could change, mm-hmm. right? And uh, yeah, welcome to planet Earth. Okay, we have broken sexualities. All right, and guess what? All of us have to deal with that to some degree or another, right? Now, if I could get to the heart of the homosexuality issue, I'll just be blunt. It is an idolatry of human love, okay? Mm -hmm. And what I'm meaning is this. Okay, Scripture says that it's actually better to be single. It's actually better to be celibate, right, than it is to get married. Why? Because this life is passing away. This life is passing away. If you can be completely celibate and be super frugal for the kingdom and live a very dangerous lifestyle, you should do it. Why? Because you'll be rewarded for eternity, right? Mm-hmm. With all of the fruit that you're able to bear as a single person. The one who is married cannot do that because they have to be concerned with their family, have to take care yeah. of their family. And scripture says, this is actually to your detriment, okay? Now, that being said, okay, well, let me establish this. The whole idea there is that you getting married is not the purpose of your life. It's not god's best desire for you right Mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff but it's a different worldview this is a biblical worldview if you don't have a biblical worldview if all you have is this life well then yeah maybe getting married is something that would be really important to you maybe going on a vacation to hawaii right (laughs) is like one of like the great endeavors of your life and anybody who can't go on a vacation to hawaii 
the purpose of their life is unfulfilled, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a million yeah. different things that could fit yeah. in this category of exactly. stuff that we would really love to do if we could, you know, in this, because this lifetime is all that we have. Mm-hmm. But from the biblical perspective, this life is a short 70, 80 years compared to eternity. Mm-hmm. And it's very worth it to deny ourselves. None of us are supposed to be indulging all the things that we want to do. Yeah. So this idea that if I can't get married and you know live with the love of my life, I'll tell you that is not a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're talking a different worldview here. And the truth is, you know, I have a friend who says this all the time, marriage is not that great. <laughs> right? It's always hard to tell this to young people because young people tend to idolize marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's like all the hopes that they have for intimacy and fulfillment, you know, they they imagine that the spouse is going to fulfill all of that. Mm-hmm. And newsflash, it never does. Okay? I say this as a person who's been married happily for 11 years now. Okay, I'll tell you. Marriage cannot fulfill all of the longings that we have, right? And guess what? When you're married, you still have to deal with all sorts of temptations, mm-hmm. right? You have to deal with all kinds of temptations. Yeah. Um, you still want to sleep with other people, mm-hmm. okay? You still get tempted in those areas. You still get tempted to leave your spouse. Mm-hmm. You still get tempted to not love them, right? I counsel couples all the time who are dealing with the fact that they don't feel the same affection for their, you know, their significant others they once did. Yeah. Right? That's precisely because that's actually not what marriage is for. Marriage is not to fulfill all of your longings for intimacy. Mm-hmm. It cannot possibly do that. But that's the lie. Yeah. So many And so many young people believe this lie. Yeah. Right. Like, oh yeah. Why can't I? I have to find somebody, and it's got to be the perfect person. Well, hey, guess what? You're gonna get a you're gonna get a wake up call one day, right? You know, for a lot of people, it's all different when they get that wake up call. But like, if you get married, it'll take a year or two, maybe, maybe it might take a week or two until you realize, oh, this person cannot possibly fulfill all the things that I yes. hoped that they would fulfill. Yeah. All right. And so I simply say this. You know, a lot of um, people who struggle with same sex attraction. You know, they think, how can it not be God's will for me to, what if I can never get married? And my answer to that is, hey, newsflash. Okay, the whole thing about Christianity is you die to self. Yeah. Okay, we're all tempted to idolize many different things. Some people idolize their careers. Okay, I told Mm -hmm. one high school kid who got into Harvard, I told him, don't go to Harvard. I told him, Harvard is garbage. You know, (laughs) and guess what? That was pretty hard for him to hear when he had been obviously working very hard (laughs) dreaming about going to harvard yeah but these things are garbage from the biblical worldview okay and that's why i say you know this idea that we're going to idolize marriage and it's so important and it's so vital and it's so necessary all of that is not true we're coming into this with a lot of false assumptions Mm -hmm. okay so yes if you have to deal with being celibate your whole life welcome to the club of dying to yourself, denying yourself, and taking up your cross and following Jesus. Yeah. Guess what? Some of us, I and I say this, I say this with humility in my heart. I have prayed that God would give me the courage and the grace to be martyred for His kingdom. Guess what? I don't have a death wish. I don't like being tortured <laughs> or killed. Like I don't desire any of that. But my desire is, I want to be able to be obedient 
to whatever he would have for me. And to be clear, I don't think that God would like me to be martyred. Yeah. But I think he would like me to have the faith yes. that would be able to stand firm in the time of great testing mm-hmm. like that. Okay. So I say, you know, I say some of these things, there's all of these things. There's, there's a number of arguments like this when we're talking about same-sex attraction that are so well ingrained into the culture now yeah. that so many young people don't understand that they hold all of these erroneous assumptions mm-hmm. and they have to be trained in all of them. Okay. Yeah. I, I just went through a, a, some of the, you know, a couple of things, but I don't, I didn't intend for this to be a podcast episode about homosexuality specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, w- I would just say this simply, okay? For those who are struggling with same-sex attraction, hey, welcome to the club of being broken, okay? I promise you, we're all dealing with different areas of brokenness. And we can be tempted to eyelids, but don't you don't identify yourself with one particular area of brokenness. I have a newsflash for anybody who struggles with same-sex attraction. There's a lot more that's wrong with you, okay? <laughs> your sin is not just your homosexuality. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you've got a lot of problems mm-hmm. because we all do. We're all dealing with our sinful natures. Yeah. And so this idea that we're gonna we're going to raise up this one sinful tendency and, and we're gonna name ourselves by it. That's yeah. who I am. I'm gonna identify as gay. Already, yeah, you're gonna have a hard time following God if you do that. Yeah. Okay? Because scripture says specifically if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature. Mm-hmm. The old is gone, the new has come. We no longer regard anyone according to the flesh, though we once even regarded Christ this way. Okay? Yeah. We do so no longer, meaning you cannot identify as gay if you're a Christian. Yeah. If you do that, you're one step, you know, you're well on your way to leaving the faith mm-hmm. because God does not regard you as gay. Yeah. And the problem is there's all this pressure in our culture to come out of the closet. And yeah, you have to understand yeah. what that is. That is to identify as gay. There's this pressure yeah. to say, you need to identify as gay. You need to make it who you are. And I say, if you do that, you're 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 really messing yourself up. Mm-hmm. No, you're not gay. Okay, you're a broken person just like the rest of us are, mm-hmm. and there's lots of broken things about you. Yeah. But hey, I've seen people get lots of freedom in this area and for lots of other things. But I say, yeah, lovingly, if it means that you you need to choose celibacy for the rest of your life, well, welcome to the club. Mm-hmm. Okay? This is all of us have to take up our cross. I say this to people all the time. You might have to give up the career that you've been working your whole life towards. You might have to give up your life. I I remember um, thinking about this issue of, you know, if my son was born with a disability because the doctors mm-hmm. came back and told us there was a good chance that he would be. Yeah. And I thought about all the things I would have to give up to care for my child. And I was like, Lord, if this is what you're asking me to do, and, and now the calling of my life is to care for my child, and that becomes the main thing for me. I say that's a that's that's a calling I'm willing to undertake. Amen. Right? Yeah. Because it's not about me and my career and getting famous. And all this. It's no, it's about being obedient unto death to what God has asked me to do. And sometimes those things are 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 callings that are not esteemed by the world. Yeah. But it's glorious to God. Okay, the one who gives up their career and many of the relationships to care for a child with a disability. To me, that is a glorious calling. That's a glorious life. Well done for those who have made that decision, okay? And there's lots of other things like that. That's because the biblical worldview is not the worldly worldview, which is that we have more than this life. This life is passing away. We have this one life to demonstrate faith and obedience to God, and then we'll be rewarded forever 
for that faith and that obedience. And mm-hmm. that's the life that we're buying into when we come to Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, Ashley, I have to say, it's so much better. It's so much better. I, the, look, the worldly view of life sucks. <laughs> it sucks. There's no purpose. There's no purpose. Yeah. Okay. Every purpose becomes, like, if your purpose is to become a rock star or a K pop star, Look, once you become a K-pop star, if that should happen to like the 0.1% of you that go after it and actually make it happen. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Okay, if you become a K-pop star, you you're you're going to have to stay a K-pop star, yeah. right? Then you becomes worried about you you might be becoming a little less famous than you were. And yeah. You got to keep your fame up, right? And then you got to deal with the people who want your money and they want to yeah. do all this kind of stuff with you. And and guess what? It's not all it's cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. And every, it, it's all like that. It's all like that. And if you succeed to your wildest dreams and you become the most famous k-pop star of all time well congratulations it lasts for what a decade yeah if you're really great at it Mm -hmm. you know like it lasts for maybe 15 years and then you're too old and ugly you know and the next person comes along and you know whatever yeah who cares (laughs) nobody really cares yeah okay it's I always like it to high school popularity, right? It seems so important. And then four years later, nobody cares. Nobody exactly. cares that you were the homecoming king, <laughs> right? Like, who cares about that? Like, you're the loser, right? If you're like, hey, guess what, guys? I was the homecoming yeah. king when I was in high school, right? Like, if that's something that's still really oh important to you, yeah. you know, other people are like, you know, they feel a little bad for you because it doesn't matter in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Yeah. What, it's the same thing here, right? Like these things that seem so important to us when we're young, you know, healthy discipleship is helping young people see mm-hmm. with an eternal perspective. Yeah. Because it's hard when you're young. Mm-hmm. You just haven't seen much yet, mm-hmm. right? But I say that to say like the biblical worldview, it looks to an immature person terrible. Because it looks mm-hmm. like you can't do all the stuff that looks so compelling and fun and, you know. But from an eternal perspective, it's so much better. Because you're yeah. living with purpose and a real purpose, yeah. right? This hypothetical person who gives up his career to care for his disabled child. Can I tell you how glorious that is? That's so amazing. Why? Because you're really loving somebody in a way that's solid and it makes a difference in that person's life. Mm-hmm. And it means something. Okay, it doesn't mean anything if a million people love you because you're so pretty. They don't yeah. really love you. You know, mm-hmm. that love isn't real. That's that's fake, right? But when you when you sacrifice in a significant way to care for somebody, you make a real difference in that person's life, right? That's what life is made up of. Okay, and to God, it's glorious and it matters. And that's why he'll reward those actions that really mattered but were not greatly honored in this life. Yeah. Okay, and I just feel like as Christian educators, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to impart an eternal perspective on young people, mm-hmm. right? And it is hard because there are so many compelling, flashy things in our culture yeah. Isn't that what wisdom is? Like, mm-hmm. so much of wisdom is teaching people to delay gratification. Yeah. 
right? It's like it's it's one of the most core fundamental, you know, lessons of wisdom mm-hmm. is that hey, you've got to say no to immediate pleasure, yes, so that you can have something that lasts. Mm-hmm. And you know, we could take that obviously in 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 smaller increments, like hey, you got to study during high school so that mm-hmm. you can have a better career. But in the grand, in in the big picture, it's hey, you have to say no to things like marrying, you know, or dating the person that is is really good looking and funny and charming. Because scripture says charm is deceitful, right? And beauty yeah. is fleeting. Well, that's so hard for young people because they yeah. just want to, you know, they just want to be with the good looking, exactly, yeah. charming person, you know. And yeah. scripture is going to say, hey, but that's actually fool's gold. What you're attracted to there, mm-hmm. right? And it, and that's just one thing. There's like a million things like that, right? Yeah. Where we're telling young people, hey, these things that you value so highly, try to value them a little less, mm-hmm. right? Try not to esteem them so much because they'll lead you. You'll lead you astray. And the thing is, that's that's imperfect, right? We can never disciple someone perfectly. So exactly, a huge part of how we learn is like, oh yeah, my teacher told me this. I didn't listen to my teacher, and I made that decision. And then eventually I saw that my teacher or my parent was right. Yeah. And sometimes those lessons take decades, yeah. right? Because that's how it works, right? You don't, it takes a long time to, until you realize, oh, that's why the Bible said that. That's why. So you basically, you can learn lessons the long, hard way. Yeah. Or you can learn them the short way. Mm-hmm. And this is how you become a very wise person very young is it's based on trust, mm-hmm. right? That's what faith is. And that's this is why when we're talking about the Bible, I tell people, you know, the Bible is boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people, they try and make it like, the Bible is the funnest book ever. It's so interesting. And look, there is an argument to be made there. I'm, you know, like some parts of it are pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a whole, the Bible can't compete with Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Right? It cannot compete. Yes. Yeah. Right? Like, Netflix is way more fun <laughs> for if you want to spend two hours of your life doing something, mm-hmm. you probably can find something more fun on Netflix. Yeah. Okay? But, even though the Bible is boring, it it imparts actual wisdom that is valuable for eternity. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's by trust. It's by faith. If you can, by faith, esteem that, which doesn't seem to be that fun or compelling mm-hmm. the promise is that it will help you in the long run okay yeah. and it's all like that right homework do your homework right well the kid doesn't understand why they have to do their yeah. homework and i always tell this you know to people it's not like asians asian kids love math right? yeah, yeah yeah yeah. it's our favorite thing we love to do math <laughs> right I've, I've heard i've heard people say that right like oh, asian oh, kids they just love math right <laughs> i'm like what crazy yeah yeah. No, well very few asian kids i'll put it that way love math no they don't love it it's just they have parents who force them Mm -hmm. right they force them because they know that it's going to be better for them in the long run if they Mm -hmm. do these things and biblical wisdom it works the same way right we have to some degree force our spiritual children force our children um just not beyond the point of you know like how does the Bible put it? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's when you push them too far. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> <Right>? exactly. <laughs> and I just be real. That's I'm always I'm worried about both sides, right? I'm worried yeah. about 
exasperating them on one side and I'm worried about not disciplining them well mm-hmm. on the other side. And I think that that's something that all of us as educators, like we're trying to figure that out, huh? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, what's the second thing? The second thing, well, the second thing is I feel is unforgiveness. I definitely feel like, obviously the first one is mainstream media because all those things fall into it, like LGBTQ, yeah. abortion, all those like controversial issues that really sway ch- children yes. right, and teenagers. Yes. And then the second one is like bitterness and unforgiveness Yeah, that makes them walk away from God. I feel is what I've seen, not just with my students, but my classmates, like yeah. even people that are older than me when they were in high school or yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I thank God I had some, you know, I had some good teaching, especially when I was in college. I remember, um, there was one um, teacher in my life who really emphasized how important it was to forgive. And that lesson has served me so well. Um, every every Christian and great leader that I know has been through major tests of forgiveness. Yes. Right? Like, you, you're not, you're not going to be the one person who mm-hmm. doesn't ever have to struggle with forgiveness. Right? Everyone yeah. has to struggle with it. And in my experience... Um, the more authority you're called to carry in the kingdom, the more testing you're going to have to mm-hmm. go through. And and the reason is this, because unforgiveness is the thing that really corrupts you. Mm-hmm. It it absolutely destroys you. And, um, you know, I think the Bible talks about this, right? Like um, the parable of the unforgiving servant is, you know, the the punishment for that servant is he's given over to the torturers. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is um, representation. It represents demons, okay. And the idea here is that when we hold on forgiveness, demons are given legal yes. right and access to torment us in our lives, mm-hmm. and um, and that's because we have uh, no excuse for holding on forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? We have no excuse because God is willing to forgive us mm-hmm. of any of our sins, right? If we repent and we forgive, yes. Right, but once we refuse to forgive others for the sins they commit against us, then God refuses to forgive us of mm-hmm. our own sin. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you know, first of all, I should just say, as a theological issue, I think that's really tricky for a lot of people because, yeah. uh, you know, popular Christian theology is that as soon as you receive Jesus in your life, all your sins are forgiven. Right, <laughs> everything's forgiven, and a lot of people even teach your future sins are forgiven. Yeah. Right. And that gets into some really bad places. Yeah, it gets into very bad places because um, that's where a lot of hyper grace theology comes yeah, from. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I became a Christian. Now I'm all my sins are forgiven. Therefore, mm-hmm. God doesn't really He doesn't care if I'm practicing sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my opinion, a lot of a lot of false teachers. That's how it happens. They start yeah. believing that on the upon the moment of conversion, all of your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And I just want to say, I do not believe that is biblical. Mm-hmm. That is not biblical in my opinion. Okay, um, I think a much better way to understand these this issue is that when we come to faith, we are forgiven of our rebellious idolatry. Yes. Right. And you know, my understanding of faith. And I always, you know, for those who are more theologically inclined, I always recommend this book, Salvation by Allegiance Alone, by um, Barnes. Barnes. Matthew? 
I think it's <laughs> Barnes. But forgive me if I got that first name wrong. Um, it does a phenomenal job at explaining theologically why salvation is best understood, or faith is best understood as allegiance. Like when we put our faith in Christ, we're giving him our allegiance. Mm -hmm. And um, what that does is it gives us a category to understand not having our allegiance in Christ is what condemns us. Yeah. Right? Once we give our allegiance to Christ, now we're part of his kingdom and we enjoy all the benefits of that kingdom, including eternal life. Right? Mm -hmm. But guess what? You can you can have allegiance to Christ and still have sin on your record. Okay, now this is my understanding. Now the problem, and sorry for getting a little theological with you, Ashley, but I, I know no, a lot of people, fine. this is confusing for them. A lot of people believe that you have to be morally perfect to go to heaven, right? Like that's why if you have any sin on your account, you cannot go to heaven because God can only be in a sinless, you know, perfect environment. <laughs> and so there's all this theology about, you know, like when you come to Christ, you get his perfect righteousness and you know, and therefore when God looks at you, he doesn't see sin. He just sees Jesus's perfect righteousness. <laughs> and I just lovingly say, I don't think that's how it works. Yeah. Okay. I understand yeah. why that gets taught like that, but I think there's a, there's an error there and, and it's a fairly significant one. Okay. Because it's, it's not that God can't stand any sin. Mm -hmm. and, and the reason that's important is because scripture does say, if you do not forgive those who sin against you, neither will your heavenly father forgive you of your sins. Yeah. A lot of Christians have no category for that. They don't know how to understand that verse. Because what does that mean if I'm if I'm a believer and then I don't forgive and then all of a sudden I'm not a believer anymore, I'm not saved? And um, no, but that I don't think that's how it works. You can have sin on your account as a believer, all right? And that will affect you at the judgment. All right, meaning you can still get eternal life because you have allegiance to Christ, your faith is in Christ, all mm -hmm. right, but you have sin that was unrepented for in your life, and those will count against your rewards, mm -hmm. okay? That's my understanding. It is somewhat speculative, okay? But I think that's how it works. And, and the reason I say this is because you can be a Christian and you can start to hold unforgiveness. Now, yes. the particular danger of this is what starts to happen is you become oppressed by the demonic, okay? Mm -hmm. You become oppressed by demons. And that torment, okay, is so that to give you an urgency, no, I really have to forgive. I mm -hmm. really have to forgive this or the torment will continue. But there's a way that you can go where you can harden your heart more and more mm -hmm. and become increasingly bitter. And if you do that, you will be cut off the vine of Christ. Yeah. Okay, and that's that's the ones that the Father prunes, right? Those who do not bear fruit, John 15, the Father prunes them, okay, yeah. from the vine of Christ. And again, I understand a lot of people don't have that theology that, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I do not believe that is true. Um, I think Scripture warns us in many places, right, against certain types of sinful behavior, such yeah. as loving money, yeah. right? Because on account of the love of money, many have been pierced with many griefs and have wandered from the faith, right? And in the same way, it's going to warn us about unforgiveness and bitterness, right? Meaning no one can can belong to him and say that I hate my brother or sister, mm -hmm. they're a liar. And that's the idea that when the bitterness has grown to that degree where you actually have hatred yeah. for a brother or sister, you're, you, you might think you belong to Christ, but you probably don't at that point, yeah. okay? And um, I've seen that happen to a lot of people where they've let that bitterness, because they're unwilling to forgive when it was small. Yeah, exactly. Right? They're unwilling to forgive um, 
and so it grew and it grew and mm-hmm. they didn't understand how their mind became more and more influenced by demonic thinking and um and they leave the faith yeah and i have seen that and i I just want to speak with compassion for those people because look i have been through some hard tests of forgiveness Mm -hmm. and and to be clear i'm not saying that i've been through as bad a time as some other people have some other people i know some people have been through the most crazy stories of betrayal and all that stuff um i'm just simply saying i i know what it's like to really wrestle with forgiving somebody Mm -hmm. i've been through many of those tests in my life and I know it can be so difficult and so hard. And I just want to encourage people, if you're wrestling with forgiveness issues, I know it can be so difficult, but you've got to do it. Yeah. you got to do it. And that's because what it does is it forces you to go to a lower level of humility. Yes. Right? It's our pride that makes us able to be offended. Because mm-hmm. we think to ourselves, how dare that person? How could they yeah. do this to me? Yeah. Well, the antidote to that is to go deeper in humility, right? Mm-hmm. If they could, if they could do what they did to Jesus, yeah, they can do it to you, yeah, right. He was perfect in every way. He was accused of the most heinous crimes. He was accused of sin. He was accused of all the stuff. He did none of that. Mm-hmm. And not only did they just accuse him of it, they punished him for it on a cross, right, with torture. Mm-hmm. If they can do that to to Jesus, and God allowed it to happen, God let it happen. Then guess what? People can do that to you, and God can let it happen. Yeah. And the only hope that we have is to go deeper in humility. Look exactly. God. Then I'm, let me be wronged for your sake, Lord. Mm-hmm. Let me share in the fellowship of your sufferings, mm-hmm. Lord. And Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Right? And it's not easy, but I tell you, as a believer, this is how we grow. Yeah. This is how we grow in the faith. Yeah. We go through betrayals, we go through hardships, we go through people sinning against us, and we forgive them. And the forgiveness shows our growth, mm-hmm. right? Because when you are able to forgive, what it shows is that you've grown in your character, you've grown in matu- your maturity, you've grown in your faith, right? You've grown in your humility, you've grown in all of these things. It takes mature character to be able to forgive. Mm-hmm. Of serious people when they seriously sin against you. Yeah. It's really good, Ash. Yeah. No, yeah. And so I I feel like even for Christian educators, we can get so caught up in like just teaching and teaching, but even like encouraging our students to forgive, right? And that's something that like I had to do and you know, you helped me with that, Pastor Dennis, right? I had like a lot of unforgiveness in my heart. But the reality is that a lot of students don't know that they, you know, they might have hatred towards their parents or towards the church. And I feel like as Christian educators, we're not here just to like teach them about, you know, like Moses and Noah, right? But through those stories, we're able to show them what true forgiveness does in our lives and how it can set us free, right? And so I feel like as Christian educators, we need to do both, right? And really challenge our students. I remember uh, when I was pastoring in in Sunland, in TKC, um, like there are many leaders that also struggle with unforgiveness, but really challenging, encouraging forgiveness to be the number one response even though it's hard has really I've seen so many people grow in faith just because of that right yeah and like choosing to forgive 
really um like it was like basically the only thing that was stopping them right yeah. from growing in their faith and i feel like that's a huge thing that we yes. need to be aware of yeah. um and we need to constantly encourage our our students to do so too yeah yeah that's really good yeah, yeah. And i'll just say even as you're talking like look in my experience you never go you never get to a place of maturity where you'd never struggle with it again yes exactly like i i look at um test of forgiveness as being the final test for many people including jesus mm -hmm. i think jesus was tempted right to hold bitterness but he didn't he refused mm -hmm. right you see it with um joseph that's yeah. a big one right joseph he's he becomes prime minister essentially of egypt mm -hmm. but he still has to deal with his bitterness towards his brothers and God mm -hmm. confronts him with it. Right. And you see, he passes that test. He forgives them. And that's like, I, when I look at Joseph, I see that as the greatest accomplishment of his life. Yeah. Right. I would not be surprised if on the day of judgment, that is, that is the accomplishment that he gets the most rewarded for yeah. in eternity. Right. And then you look at Jonah, right. Jonah is a fascinating example because, you know, historically, you have to understand he was he had to go to Nineveh, which was the capital of the the Neo Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were were famous for being the most barbaric, evil, cruel people. They tortured and terrorized so many people, mm -hmm. and you have to understand Jonah was almost certainly like he was bitter. Like, who yes, knows? He was. Yeah, yeah, who knows what he got? You know, what he saw them do, mm -hmm. right? Um. But he is challenged by this from the Lord, yeah. right? Where he's got to deal with it. And ultimately, he's got to he's got to say, you know, it's in the Lord's hands. The Lord's the one who's going to judge, mm -hmm. right? And you still see he's wrestling with it at the end of the story. Exactly. He's still wrestling yeah. with it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's I, I actually always, I love Jonah. And I like talk about his story when I do talk about my testimony with my students. Because yeah. even after like they all get saved after Jonah shares the gospel, He's like, this is why I didn't want to share the gospel because I knew you would have mercy over them. I knew they would be saved. I knew they would be transformed, you know, and, and they don't deserve that. And he still holds on to that bitterness. And that was like me, you know, like yeah. I was like, I know if I forgive, you know, or like, I know if this happens, I know what happens next, you know, and they, that's what I don't want to do. Right. And yeah. so, but it's once like once you really challenged me, Pastor Dennis, it helped me to do the same whenever like something even greater happened it allowed me like the self-discipline to do it on my own with god right yeah. i didn't need someone to like push me or like challenge me anymore obviously like in different situations and scenarios you need certain like um talks with people but i felt like that one moment where i truly forgave someone that i held on and like so much hatred and bitterness um and i saw how like really gross I was right and like that I could even walking with God that I could have such hatred in my heart and in a way was in the danger of like walking away from God because of it I think that as I did that it helped me to forgive more and more every single time in the future and I feel like yeah. as Christian educators if we just teach our students like the process of forgiving every day right even if it's hard um, to just challenge them and encourage them, it helps them even in the future to do so on their own, right? And yeah. 
and they themselves will see the fruit of forgiveness. And that in itself is a miracle that they get to see, right? And when I saw that in my life, I literally physically saw the changes in my life and my relationships with certain people. That's Mm -hmm. when I realized the gospel is true. Jesus is alive, right? His forgiveness is real and I'm able to do so with others, right? And, And I think allowing the students and encouraging them in those ways will help them to do it like on their own with God. Right. And, yeah. and essentially hold on to a strong faith and pass yeah. the tests. Right. And so it's good. A really important one. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Ash. Yeah. Ash, is there anything else that you would like to tell, you know, Christian educators, pastors, you know, any leaders, um, any last tips or advice that you would give for them in educating their young people? Um, I feel, I feel like when it comes to like the youth and like teenagers and even children, like elementary, I am constantly like, so I feel like it's such an opportunity that we shouldn't miss when it comes to really being able to disciple them. And I mean, like truly disciple them. Even in the Bible, we see like, everyone knows Samuel as this like huge, like as the older prophet, right? But I love Samuel because in the beginnings of first Samuel, it shows that Samuel is this boy. Right. And it literally says like, he has a little robe, right. Meaning yeah. he's like small, right. Yeah. Like the, the Bible chose these words because we're trying to, like, we see Samuel as a small young boy, but with those vocabulary words, there's also he ministered to God. Right. Yeah. And I feel like when it comes to students, really understanding that they can minister to God is something that I want to see, right? Like I want to see these kids minister to God and please God. And, and I want to be a part of that by challenging them, by discipling them, by taking them through life situations that maybe they have questions about. And this is why we need to be walking with God so that when they do ask us questions, we are able to lead them in the way that God wants them to walk. Right. And I feel like when it comes to children and teenagers and youth, it can get scary. Right. It can become like even tiring sometimes like, oh, they're just kids and they have kid problems. But I feel like it's such an opportunity to be able to teach them about certain things that even we didn't know as younger um, kids and be able to push them. Right. And I feel like once they like know all of these things and truly walk with God, like we will see revival. I feel like we will see revival. And just to Christian educators, I want to say like, don't give up and don't underestimate your students. Don't underestimate them just because of their age. Um, God can use them. God is using a lot of them and is meeting a lot of them um, and is encountering a lot of our students. Yeah. And we we can't we can't let go of them, right? We can't yeah. let go of them and just throw in the towel. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I, I love, you know, something that you pointed out there. It's like young people can minister to God. Yes. And like that's a big deal. Like I remember when I was a young person, um, and I, yeah, I'm still not that old, but I remember my I, my desires. I wanted to please him so much, mm-hmm. you know. And for young people, I'm sure just like me, we struggled with. I'm so afraid I'm displeasing him, so much. Like with this and with that, and mm-hmm. I'm not 
praying as much as I could. And, you know, I yelled at my mom, you know, and yeah. like there's all these things, mm-hmm. you know, that make us fear how displeasing we are to the Lord. Yeah. Um, but it's so powerful, you know, when we as older, you know, mentors, when we come alongside and we just say, hey, this thing that you did was so great, mm-hmm. right? And this pleases the heart of God so much, mm-hmm. you know? Like what we affirm our young people in, it's like so life-giving. Like mm-hmm. they need to hear that, right? They can't just hear about how they're committing this sin and they're doing this wrong. Yeah. And, you know, like, yes. like hey, but, you know, and, and just to be clear, like, you know, it's great, like, if they do something public and it, you know, it's like, we affirm them, like, hey, yeah, great job, you know, praying this out or leading this or, or something like that. But I just feel like I want to affirm, I want to affirm people in, like, things like their private worship with God mm-hmm. or their private prayer, you know, like, because that is the stuff, like, they're, they're, you can really move the heart of God yes, with your private worship as a young mm-hmm. person, right? There's nothing that I would want a young person to be affirmed in more than if they have a lifestyle of worship where they're just worshiping privately the mm-hmm. Lord. I'm like, those people are so amazing to me. Like those like those people to me are like great treasures, right? Yeah. That, that minister to the Lord, you Amen. know, in private when nobody's watching. And I just, you know, as a as a pastor and as a Christian leader, I just want to affirm young people who are doing that. Because I know that there's there's no you know, nobody's like celebrating you, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, I understand, you know, like the worship leaders, they get yeah, celebrated, yeah. you know, yeah. like the, you know, the, I don't know, the Bible say leaders, I don't know, whatever gets celebrated in some cultures, you know, I, but you don't normally get celebrated for your private devotion with the Lord, mm-hmm. right? But I just want to say, look, when you have an like a time of worship that's genuine and heartfelt with the Lord, I just want to say that's so great. That's so mm-hmm. great. It moves God's heart. Amen. Right. And the private devotion, the private times when you've had to forgive somebody, nobody saw it. Yes. Nobody was impressed by it. It That is amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. God sees it. It's so, it moves God's heart. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and um, yeah, just affirming young people for real acts of faith. Amen. Right. Um, I just want to say is is so life-giving, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, you know, especially we in the, that are more on the Korean side, we can sometimes be a little harsh where we're just like correcting, correcting, rebuking, warning, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? But the yeah. affirmation part is like, yeah, it's really important, you know, <laughs> just to affirm them for yeah. real decisions of faith. And, um, and actually, I'm so thankful for you, you know, and just for everything that you're doing and, you know, for continuing to stand strong in your faith and for, you know, now you're helping to train up and, you know, raise up younger disciples in the Lord. I just want to say really proud of you and um, so glad for everything you're doing. Thanks, Pastor Dennis. Yeah, <laughs> I I find it like so refreshing. I feel with kids, they're just like a clean slate, you know, mm-hmm. and once they do, once they do see and hear God in a personal way, they just want more, you know, and so yeah. I feel like it's in a way it's hard in the beginning, but once they really truly walk with god in a way it's easy they're like a plant that just grows naturally you know and so um being able to like see kids minister to god and like truly want to know his ways and like asking constant questions because they've seen how real he was in one area and they want to see it in others i feel like it's just once they see it once it's they want to see it 
everywhere, right? And yeah, so that's great. I feel like with students, it's just, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Right. Well, actually, appreciate you coming on and, and talk with me a little bit. Um, God bless. Thank you, Pastor Dennis. Mm-hmm.